The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. So we're going to pick up this morning with Paul's letter to the Roman church, a church that he did not start, a church that he has never visited, uh, maybe to people he's never met before, but he writes this pastoral letter. And so we approach it with great reverence because it is the very word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your word and we ask your spirit to be poured out upon us, that you would teach us and speak uh, to us today. Would you add your blessing to the reading now and to the hearing of your word? To Christ be the glory. Amen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's very word. May he add his blessing to his reading and hearing. Amen. I'm always amazed. I've read that and read it and reread it. Just in reading it aloud to you, just amazed at Paul's humility. This is Paul. I mean, think about that. This is Paul. And Paul says to the Roman church, to this new young church that's up there, figuring it out, uh, growing, going through persecution. In verse 12, he says, oh, I long to come to you and be with you so that we can be mutually encouraged. What humility. Not to come and say, hey, I'm coming as big Apostle Paul and I'm going to teach you and you're going to respect me and you're going to learn from me. He does say that, but he also says in there, and I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to learn from you because you have the exact same spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and I can learn from you. 
Folks, that's what living life together is all about. Mentoring and life on life and things like that are two mutually humbled individuals coming together to learn how to live for Christ, applying the beauties of the gospel uh, to their lives. Paul amazes me. I can't imagine Michael Jordan walking into a basketball camp and saying, folks, I'm here to teach you and learn from you. I can't imagine there's anything in basketball that I could teach Michael Jordan that he doesn't already know and do a million times better than I can. But the humility of Paul, he says, I know my own weakness. I know my own frailties. And I know that because I'm in relationship with you, that the Spirit of God working in you is going to teach me something about my Savior that I might not see on my own. And I treasure that. And therefore, I want to be in relationship with you. I miss not being in relationship with you because I become a better man. I become a better Christian. I become a deeper, more profound person because I'm sitting with you. If you don't believe that, go volunteer in our children's ministry and allow those children and the questions that they ask and the simple faith that they express challenge you in our adult complexities. We can learn in that. So now we come to this incredible letter from this incredible man who writes, and at first he says this, I am coming to present to you the gospel. I am eager, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So it would behoove us just for a moment to define what is the gospel then. The gospel is simply the euangelion, the, the good news. It is good news. It is a declared statement. It is not a process. Uh, it's not a how-to. It is a declaration of something. It's a word that was used in the ancient Near East uh, constantly, that there'd be heralds that would run out proclaiming gospels. Uh, the gospel of this person, the gospel of this king, the gospel of this prophet. And, and what Paul is right, he's saying, no, but I have the good news. It is a declaration of truth that stands. It is a declaration of truth that informs and helps us understand everything else. And this gospel, simply put, uh, one way to think of the gospel message of Jesus Christ is this. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe about yourself. But you are more loved in Christ Jesus than you ever dared dream or imagine. That's the, the gospel encapsulated. The gospel is this. That mankind fell in Adam and Eve. And through them, all of humanity is now alienated from God, unable to get into a right relationship with him and justly deserving of his displeasure, of his judgment. And God, being rich in mercy, sent Christ, his only son, into the world to live the human life as a man that he dwelt among us, that he lived perfectly under the law, that he lived perfectly under the natural law, that he lived perfectly and then he went with this perfect life to a cross and he was crucified on behalf of all of those whom the Father had given to him, on behalf of those whom God had called. He had lived this life, he died, and then he rose from the dead and God accepted his sacrifice on behalf of those who would believe through faith. That that's the good news. 
And that in that good news, when we believe in Christ, that we believe in his life, that we receive his righteousness, uh, that everything about us is forever changed. Our status, our identity, everything is changed because of the work, the completed once and for all work of Jesus Christ. And now it says that we are considered the very righteousness of God himself. Sons and daughters uh, of the king. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't it? We can recite it, but does it does it get down in you and make you just go, oh, that's just the best thing I've heard today? That Jesus Christ came and he gave his life for me and he substituted his life for me because when I ponder and consider that I was the one who stood stand in justice, and I know I would never stand, Christ stood on my behalf. And he took it for me. That's good news. There's a lot of news that's out there. But this is the good news. That says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. But more accepted and loved than you ever dared dream or imagine. Simultaneously in Christ. That's good news. And Paul is saying, I am eager to preach the gospel, verse 15, Paul begins to develop an argument there. That's why when you come to verse 16 and 17, we just grab them and we pull them out. And it really is an extension of verse 15. Paul says, I'm eager to come to you in Rome. I'm eager to preach this gospel to you. And then he has three becauses. Because of this and because of this and because of this. That's why I'm eager to come and preach to you in Rome. He says, I am eager to come and preach to you in Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am going to get to Rome somehow, even if it means that I have to go be imprisoned in Rome. I'm willing and eager to go to Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he gives a reason because a normal uh, intellectual uh, thinking person would go, well, you can just say you're not ashamed, but why aren't you ashamed? He says, well, I'm going to answer that question for you. I'm not ashamed because it's the very power of God for salvation to all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Well, that's cool. But how is it the power of God for salvation? Well, it's the power of God for salvation because in it, in the gospel is the very righteousness of God given to us in Christ Jesus through faith. So, we're going to just kind of walk through this together. So if you're looking for an outline, Paul's eager to go preach the gospel. Why? Because he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God. And because it contains the very righteousness of God. And then we'll go to a so what, a now what kind of, okay, what do we do with that? Let's first, just, just for a moment, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. I would imagine if I asked that question to, a question to uh, most of you young people who are heading back to school very soon, if not you've already headed to school, how eager are you to get back to school? College students are eager to get back to the social dynamic of school. I am eager to get back to my community there. I'm eager to get back. I'm eager to get away from my parents and a curfew again. I'm eager to do this. I'm eager. I can't wait for these things. I'm eager to do that. But to say I'm eager to sit in hour after hour of lecture 
and then eager to take exams that are cumulative. Oh, terrible. Or if I ask many of you, you know, tonight is Sunday night. You know what that means? It means tomorrow's Monday. And for you non-retired folks, that means you have to go to work. Are you eager to go to work? That you're just going, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow morning. I can't wait to wake up early to go in and to go and to do this job. And to earn the paycheck that I think I should be earning more than I'm currently earning. That I'm more valuable than my bosses consider me to be. I I just can't wait to do that. You know, Paul didn't say any of that. Paul didn't say, well, I mean, I'm coming to preach. I hope you'll come. I'm compelled to do it. I mean, God's making me do it. I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to come and do it anyway. And so I'll be there. So I hope you'll come and listen to me. Ladies, if you have a man in your life. And he was going to take you on a date this coming Friday night. And his invitation went something like this. Hey, sweetheart. All my other plans got canceled. (laughs) Other options are gone. I mean, we're dating, we're married, we're engaged, we're together. So I guess I got to take you out. I read a book somewhere that says we should do that. So I don't really want to. But I'm compelled to, so I'll pick you up at seven. And we won't go Dutch, I'll buy. And I may even bring you a flower. Sound good? Ladies, how many of you would just get all excited about Friday night? Some of you were elbowing your better halves there, other halves maybe, and going, see, it doesn't work that way. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, I'm eager. I have such a deep desire to be with you. Everything in me wants to be with you. I look at you and there's a passion within me to come. Why? Why? Because I believe that the gospel of God will forever change your life once you hear it. And once I present it to you, I'm so excited to come and to teach it to you. And then you go, the gospel. Wait a second, Bill. You told us the gospel was this thing that converts us. And Paul's writing to the church. Why would he be preaching the gospel to a bunch of converted people? Have you caught that, by the way? Paul says, I want to preach the gospel to you. Remember who he's writing to? A church. Why would he be doing that? Paul is saying, you've misunderstood the gospel. You think it's just for conversion. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to live your Christian life day by day by day. It is the application and the reapplication of the truth of the gospel which will lead you along the way into Christian and spiritual maturity. He says, I want to come and preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ because I want to see it bear fruit. What he's saying is, I've heard about you and you're an awesome church and I give thanks to my God for you regularly in my prayers because you're standing fast. You're under incredible persecution. You're standing for Christ there. You're breaking through racial and and ethnic lines that no one would have ever thought that Jews and non-Jews could come together and be together, that wealthy and poor, educated and uneducated could come together. And Paul is saying, this gospel has done an incredible work within you, but it hasn't completed its work. And I want to come and preach to you this. And he says, so I'm going to come and preach the gospel to you. And I'm eager to do it. Why, first of all? Because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, there's a massive difference between being shamed and being ashamed. 
Paul doesn't say, I'm not shamed because of the gospel. Paul doesn't say that I'm not shamed by my stand upon the truth of God's word because he was shamed. He lost his credibility within his culture. For many people, many scholars, they believe he lost his family, that he was kicked out of his society, that his name was that of derision now, that he was shamed. He was shamed to the point of being beaten, shamed with being stoned with rocks thrown at him. He was shamed because of the gospel, because he had to hide and to even be taken out over a ledge at night so that he wouldn't be killed. The proud, the strong, Paul, one of the leaders of the leaders of the Pharisees, his stand upon the gospel brought shame against him. People shamed him. He said, but I'm not ashamed. Christ said in Hebrews, said of Christ in Hebrews, for the shame that he despised the shame. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Christ was shamed, wasn't he? This man of decency. This man who never hurt anyone or wounded them, was stripped naked, was put up for public derision was spit upon by the very individuals that he created. That he was paraded through the streets and had people uh, who had just days before sung Hosanna, Hosanna, were spitting on him and saying, crucify him. His words of life and of truth were twisted. He was accused of being a blasphemer. Christ was shamed for the gospel. He was lifted up. Hey, if you're the son of God, get yourself off the cross. I dare you. I dare you. He was shamed. But he was never ashamed. So folks, what do we learn about that from that? Here is what you need to learn. If you make a stand for Jesus Christ through your belief in the gospel, you will be shamed by this world. They will look at you and they will go, what do you mean that you believe this gospel? What do you mean that only people who believe in Jesus Christ get to go to heaven? How, how close-minded of you, McCutcheon? What do you mean that God's words, His inerrant word, and it's infallible and it is a truth, and by it we understand life of how we're to live. We understand marriage. We understand life. We understand all of these things that come. We understand how we're to live out in the world. What do you mean? You're a bigot. You're a hater. You're closed-minded. What do you mean you're not having sex before marriage? What are you too good for that? What are you a goody-goody? What do you mean you're not getting drunk with the rest of us? What do you mean you're not getting high? What do you mean that because you're following Jesus Christ, you're not going to do all of these things? What do you mean? You're going to get shamed if you make a stand for Jesus Christ. But you don't have to be ashamed. You see, the wrong response to being shamed is to try to blend in. The wrong response to being shamed by others is to fall back in the crowd. 
so that no one notices you. So that you don't bring any attention to yourself. So that you never have to answer the hard questions about what do you believe? Or do you believe this to be true? So are you saying that if I don't accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to hell? Bill, there's someone who I need you to talk to. Oh, there's a book you need to read. Instead of saying, yeah. Sadly, that's what I believe. And my heart breaks that if you don't, then that is your end. And I'd love to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ and have you come to salvation, but that is what I believe. You see, we, we tend to respond to shame by pulling back, by trying to hide. That was my story. Preacher's kid hated being a preacher's kid. Finally got to college where no one knew my dad. They didn't know that I was a from a Christian family or even I professed Christ and I did everything possible to make sure they never would. I was ashamed of it all. How I dealt with the shame? I just moved back. And then I moved over and said, here, I'll really prove it to you. I'm going to be more wild than anybody else. I'm going to be more crazy than anybody else. I'm going to prove and make sure that I'm never going to be ashamed or shamed for my stance on Jesus Christ. I was ashamed of that. And some of you have been right there. Some of you are there right now. How did Paul deal with it? How did Christ deal with it? Christ dealt with it this way. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. He looked through the derision. He looked through it. And said, there's something greater in this that trumps your accusations. He said, I despise you, shame. I will not let you have control and power over me. I will not let you speak into my life. I will not let what you say about me define me. Because I know the truth. That I see something beyond this world. I see something beyond this life. That's what Paul was saying. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can do to me what you will, but it will not cause me to be ashamed of it. For I know who I am. To be guilty says that you've done something bad. To be ashamed or shame, be filled with shame, says that you are bad. Paul is saying, no, I know who I am. And I know what I believe. And I will not be ashamed of it. I will see what's beyond it. I will overcome these feelings. Suffer? Yes. Be misunderstood? Yes. Be shamed? Yes. Be ashamed? Never. You will be shamed, but you never have to be ashamed. Because the message of God's saving work in Christ is the only final triumphant message in the world. Short-term pain, long-term gain, said John Piper. For the joy, salvation set before you, take up your cross, follow Jesus, be shamed, but despise the shame. Some of you, that's all you need to hear today. Here's what part of the role of the church is in your life. It's to come with you. And to say, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to link my life with you so that when you're feeling the shame, when those barbs are coming at you, call me. Invite me in 
to be with you as you walk along for Christ. Let me help you be strong. Let me lift your hands for you. That's part of the role of the church. And I want our church to be that kind of church. Because this church has a message of gospel that needs to go out into the world and it needs folks who aren't ashamed to stand for it. To stand up and go, this is what I believe. And my heart is broken that within my neighborhood, there are people who without the gospel of Jesus Christ will never make it into heaven. And I have that message. And therefore, I'm going to come and approach them in some creative way. And share that message with them. I'm eager to do it. And if they tell me I was just waiting. I knew it. I moved in next to a preacher. I was waiting for this moment. I knew you'd come. I knew you'd be that way. They well, Not because I'm a preacher. Because I'm not ashamed of the truth that I stand for. And I want to tell you about it. And I hope that you'll believe my message. Paul said I'm not ashamed. Then he said I'm not ashamed. Because... The gospel is the power of God for salvation. He said it's not just any power. It's not just some manipulative tool. It is the power of God. Its source is God himself. It is the power of God from him to you. And it will change lives. That we are to bring this power of God to bear on every area of our life. It is the very life of God himself that is being brought to bear uh, on others and on ourselves. So Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's not just any gospel. But it is a powerful gospel of God himself. It's a powerful message. And it's not my message. See how Paul darted it? He skirted it? You know, I tell folks on staff, Lay people sometimes, when someone challenges them, hey, just step back and go, hey, that's what McCutcheon said. The buck stops with me. That's what Paul was saying. He said, hey, this isn't my message. This message is God's message. And so you can deal with me, but really who you need to deal with is God. For it is the very power of God for salvation. Two dynamics in salvation that you need to understand here. Most of us stop with the first dynamic. And the first dynamic is conversion. For by grace you have been saved. You've been converted. Paul is talking about conversion, but he's talking about more than conversion. He has to remember the original audience. They were already converted. So why would he need to preach the gospel of salvation? What kind of salvation is he talking about here? I believe that it's the salvation, as he was talking about to the Thessalonians, that is a coming salvation. It is the future salvation that comes to the believer when Christ returns and he says, this life isn't all there is. Now, why would that be good news? In America, that may not altogether be bad, you know, good news. We got it pretty good, don't we? Any of you guys really suffer this week? I mean, it was hot. And maybe the wind on your umbrella at the beach pushed it and it flew away. You ran out of Cokes and ice. Maybe you did. I mean, Paul's writing to people who when they gathered together, Nero's men would have come and grabbed them and taken them and covered them in pitch and oil, impaled them on a stake, put them in the ground and lit them on fire for his dinner parties. Or maybe the kids got invited to youth group for a lock-in. 
And all of a sudden, what they found was that lock-in was truly a lock-in in the Colosseum. And they were taken, and they were covered in blood of animals and of sheep and all. And they were cast into this place, and all of their friends' families were there. This is awesome. Isn't that little Bobby? Isn't that Susie? Oh, she lost an arm. Oh, wow, that was cool. That was great. Paul's not simply saying to them, stand firm because you're converted. Lots of religions convert people. Lots of philosophies convert people. Paul was saying, this good news, this gospel actually saves you in the end. It takes you home. It doesn't just begin the race for you. It gets you home. And so you may suffer in this life. You may have difficulty in this life, but there is a life to come. There is something greater than this world that has to inform us now. We think about today. We think about this week. You're already thinking about lunch. And if you weren't, you are now. (laughs) You're wondering where are you going to do the rest of the day and what's on the agenda for tomorrow and all of this. And we're so captivated by the now. Paul is saying the gospel is the power of God for the not now. It is for the now, but it's for the not now, for the coming day. And that gives us a hope. Is it an encouragement to you to know that one day any negative that you've experienced will be taken away? Any flaw that you have? All the issues of this world are going to be made right in Christ when he returns. Is that good news to any of you? You know, it was one of the cries of the ancient church, and the church no longer says it was Maranatha. Maranatha. There was a movement in the 1970s called the Maranatha movement. And it was, come now, Lord, come, because it was living with the expectancy of Christ's coming. It was living in a way that said, I don't care, tear me apart. Shame me. My king is going to return one day. And I know what he thinks about me. I know who I am in him. I know what's happened to me. So do your best to me now. Because I know the salvation that comes. Doesn't that inform us better when we believe that? When the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the salvation that is to come, of the transformation of all things, it informs how we do everything. It informs why there's a ministry uh, from folks in this church that goes in into the oaks and believes that through the proclamation of the gospel that one of the poor areas on our island can be radically transformed by this gospel because this gospel isn't about now. It's about now and. And it says, this gospel informs me with my wealth that I don't have to hold on to it. That there's a day coming when I'm going to have everything I possibly needed and God is going to meet my every need and therefore my generosity is informed by this gospel of salvation. It gives me hope to step into lives that are broken, into areas of our community that are broken. It informs you in your neighborhoods to go and don't let the facade of a big home and of all the toys of this life that you think that those folks don't need to hear the gospel. Because guess what, as Billy Graham once said, he's never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. And they've staked their life on this life. And what they need to hear 
is about one who was rich who became poor on their behalf. In the end, I'll have to just print my notes and send them to you. He says the final because. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to go preach the gospel. I'm eager to do it because I'm not ashamed. Because it is the power of God. And because the gospel contains the very righteousness of God. That his righteous character is satisfied in the gospel. That his justice is satisfied in that. But also, the righteousness of God is revealed or given to you. You do understand that. That this gospel, and only this gospel, transforms you into the righteousness of God himself. Luther called it the alien righteousness, the foreign righteousness. It comes from outside of ourselves, and it is imputed and given to us. So if you believe in this gospel, you are the very righteousness of God himself. How did you, what was your first thought this morning as you looked in the mirror? It's the mirror test. I use it all the time. What was your first thought? Good morning. Righteousness of God. Right here. Oh, yeah. In all his splendor and glory. Nope. You looked and you went, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. And you started your day that way, right? Can I tell you who you are if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You're the most perfect, beautiful, incredible creation that has ever been made. Because the God of the universe takes his very character and nature and he places it into you. He says, you're my righteousness now. You are me shining through you. So instead of looking at all the other trappings that are hanging on, why don't you look at yourself and at each other for the glimpses of glory that are there. See those beauties and those perfections and what God is doing. And you receive it simply by faith. He says, for it's from faith for faith. So how do you get this? How do you come into this kind of relationship? You believe. So my invitation to you today is to believe. Don't believe me. Believe God and his word. And then go out from this place unashamed of who you are because you know who's at work within you and you know where you know the end you know the final chapter and it's a good place to be so i hope and i pray that you and me will be eager eager to live this christian life in this place so that many could hear this message let's pray father thank you Thank you that Christ wasn't ashamed to come and bear what he bore on our behalf. Thank you that he's not currently ashamed of me or of any here who proclaim his name and are filled by his spirit. That he loves them. He celebrates them. He considers them friends. He enjoys the presence of their company. And he looks forward to spending all of eternity with them that he did all that he did 
so that they would come to believe. Father, would we be eager to go and share this message with the world? As we pray in Christ's name, amen.